Today's episode is made possible by Screen Hero. With low lag and an independent mouse pointer for each user, Screen Hero is a screen sharing application built from the ground up for collaboration. Whether you're pair programming, reviewing a website design with a client, or just helping a distant family member with their computer, Screen Hero makes you a participant instead of a spectator. To try it out for free, visit ScreenHero.com. Hello and welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at WideTeams.com and on Twitter at WideTeams. This is episode 99. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. And joining me today is David Tate. David, uh, would you mind uh, introducing yourself briefly? Uh, sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is David. I'm in the Atlanta area. Um, I'm a, I guess, .NET or Microsoft developer. I've been in the industry about 10 years, been working remotely for about four years. We live outside of Atlanta. I have four kids and work, um, have been working remotely and dealing with the challenges of having kids on the same floor as my house for a little while before, uh, for that I worked in, you know, traditional jobs in the Atlanta area and drove to them and wished that I did not have to drive anymore. Um, and then kind of slowly made the transition into working from home for companies that are far away. Um, I currently work for Trek Bicycle Corporation, which is based in Madison, Wisconsin. I've only seen any of them once, but I've been working there for for a while. So that's my little two-minute overview. The first bike I ever bought was a Trek, and I, and I loved it. And it probably still works. Um, yeah, whoever whoever has it, <laughs> I'm sure it's working well for them. It was it was stolen, but oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. I guess they have good taste in bikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I I I see from my notes that you have actually written a fair amount about the experience of working remotely and some of the stuff that you've you've learned from those. And I'm going to shamefacedly admit that I have not read your articles yet. Um, my only excuse is I just got back from a trip to Belgium and I've kind of been in recovery mode, but. Um, yeah, uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, wh- what are the things that, that you learned from your remote working experience that you decided you wanted to share with other people in these ar- articles? Yeah, so I, I ended up writing the articles because uh, I failed a lot at remote working. It was kind of a tough transition. I didn't intentionally sit down and say, you know, it would be really nice if I didn't have to drive every day. I just didn't like driving. And then I left the job and just kind of by accident, the next company, everybody was remote. And we only went into the office for about four hours a week. Um, and so I just sort of jumped right in and uh, didn't do very well at it. And so most of the writing has been about challenges that I've faced because my general impression is that there's more and more remote workers every day and there's just really not a lot of cross-communication between them because we're all sort of in our basements and we communicate about technical things for those of us who work in technical fields, but we don't actually talk about kind of the meta stuff to do with working from home. People kind of like that it's personal and you can do it your own way, but I think there's kind of some anti-patterns and patterns kind of how you're successful with it. And so that's kind of the the blog when I have time to write stuff has been really just about my personal experience and what is mm-hmm. what is not worked out or, or worked out. Uh, when I first started working from home, I... Um, 
I loved it for like three weeks. I had been in a job where I was interrupted every 20 minutes. I was a manager at a company and I was always in a meeting. And if I wasn't in a meeting, I had three or four things I needed to get done and people were always asking me questions. And so I loved it for about three or four weeks because nobody ever asked me any questions. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever interrupted me. And then slowly I kind of ran into a lot of the common problems that people have with remote work. Um, isolation and boredom and productivity challenges and not going outside and, you know, all, all those like common things people joke about. Um, so right. a lot of the, a lot of the writing has been focused on kind of how to get over that stuff and get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Do you ever deal with that? I mean, once you get over the initial euphoria of, Hey, nobody's bothering me. Do, did you start to get into that, uh, mental space of, uh Oh, nobody's bothering me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, there's a natural inertia that comes with being around other people. Like, uh, I don't know if it's herd mentality or what, but uh, if you go to work uh, and then you get nothing done all day, just the act of driving to work and talking to people and being in a couple meetings and eating lunch, you kind of feel a sense of accomplishment. When you work right. from home, there's just not there's not any sort of mutually agreed upon respect between the workers. It's more merit based, and so if you have a bad day when you're working from home, or you you know, uh, in the programming world, you can sort of have a, have a bad day, write a bunch of stuff that doesn't work or kind of go down a dead end or you can spend hours trying to figure something out that you just feel all of that, you know, mm-hmm. when you work by yourself. And, uh, so that kind of isolation is, is a little bit tough, not having somebody to bounce ideas off of or, um, just not having the natural, Hey, we're all working. Everything's fine. That natural kind of momentum. You kind of have to generate the, the steam yourself uh, when when you work alone. Sure. So so what are some of these lessons that you've learned? Uh, give up is the number one lesson. No. Um, <laughs> so I I, I I I looked around for you know who's written about this because there's like thousands of remote workers and you know all these there's a lot of companies that are starting up they're fully distributed and I realized that uh, I was kind of looking in the wrong field so. Programmers are not always good at like writing stuff down and kind of the social aspects. It's kind of a stereotype, but it's true a little bit. So now there's more companies you can kind of read how they get stuff done. But at a personal level, I realize that you don't need to look at what another programmer does to get their stuff done. You need to look at what writers do because mm-hmm. somebody who writes a book, that's like a mountain that they're climbing and they're doing it alone. And it's very similar to the type of challenges that you run into when you work alone because nobody really understands what you do. You're kind of isolated. You, you kind of have to go in the room and get stuff done for four or five hours. It's similar to programming in that it's kind of a zone-based activity where, you know, an interruption can kind of throw you off for, for an hour. Potentially, the quality of your work is based on your motivation in a very large extent and mm-hmm. um, kind of your emotional health. Um so I started just reading a bunch of books by writers about writers, which is even just kind of yak shaving, but it's kind of figure out how to get stuff done alone, programming. You read a book by a writer about how to write, but um, The Art of War is a good book, Writing Down the Bones, um, just various people that have talked about, you know, the, the experience of writing. Um, so some of the lessons there are the, now, the way... The- is that the art, of, the actual art of war? Because I know there's another. Sorry, book. sorry. The the war of art. Okay, yeah. Because I've heard of the war of art. I never read it. The war of art, and then um, I think his last name's Pressfield. He's the guy who wrote the Legend of Bagger Vance, and then some military um, novels. But the war of art, and then Turning Pro are his two books, and they're a little bit spiritual. Honestly, they're about kind of how 
some of those challenges you face when you just sit down and just don't get stuff done and procrastinate instead what that actually is and you know how you kind of push through that and uh some of the emotional stuff and he's talking about you know writing this huge book you know um but it's kind of the at a smaller scale kind of the micro challenges you run into um or at least i ran into and so some of his were kind of recognizing that and kind of putting it out on the surface that you know it's it's a challenge to get started mm-hmm. um and it's the work you do is important he and then at the i don't remember who wrote writing down the bones but um they talked a lot about kind of a sacred space like you treat you treat what you do with a sort of reverence no matter what you're doing so um i have a a room that is kind of my room that i work in and um other stuff goes on there too like we have storage and um but i don't use personal computers in here i don't let my kids in here very much this is sort of like the zone place in fact when my kids do get to come in here i tell them they have to make something Hmm. so you can't just walk in here and like you know i don't know you got to make up a song you got to make up a story you got to sit down and draw something Hmm. it sounds a little crazy but there's sort of a you just need to get stuff done when you go in that room and so if everybody in the family knows that then that's just the momentum of the room when i come in the room i go in the room to work and i get stuff done and then i leave the room and the rest of the house is not where i work and kind of creates that that boundary kind of keeping that space sacred i do Mm. bounce around to coffee shops sometimes you know the home internet is always not as always reliable as you want and i've went through a phase where i rented an office and went to a co-working space i've kind of tried a lot of different things but that if you have that reverence towards your work and towards your space i think it really helps with the common boundary issues that people have with like you know if they had an hour-long commute uh, to and from work then they'll just work those hours or they'll Mm -hmm. just kind of take a two-hour lunch if they work from home you know if you treat it with that same reverence then you'll be able to start at a certain time Right. Take the work, take the work seriously, respect the work, and then just end it. And it's like, okay, it's over. It doesn't matter if my computer's in the other room. It's not, it's not work time. Um, so that, that, that leaves me, helped. that leaves me kind of curious. Um, you talk about establishing an almost a sacred space. Do you have any kind of rituals for beginning or ending your day? Uh, yeah. So, man, I hate, I hated being in the car, but I realized I actually missed it. Um, I had a, like a 45 minute one way commute for about five or six years. And um, that's just a lot of time a week. So I remember one of the good things was, oh, I just have time, you know, more time on my hands. And then when you're in an office, you always take an hour for lunch. When you work from your house, you tend to take like however long it takes you to actually eat. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just felt like I had time on my hands. And um, but I realized that commute really was like a compression and decompression time. That was the time that I listened to podcasts. That was the time that I listened to the radio. Um, it was kind of an unwinding time. And so, um, I've tried to recreate that. The ramp up in the morning is not, not a problem. That's normally like drink coffee and you're good to go. But the, um, the decompression, the, I don't know if people in other fields have this problem if they, if they work by themselves, but in the programming world, you're sort of in an environment where you're in charge. Um, it doesn't always feel like that, but for the most part, there's an impatience that comes with it. You want your computer to respond in the way that it does, and you're creating things that, you know, they, they're sometimes frustrating, but you do ultimately get them to do what you want, and then you open the door, and then you go play with your, your kids, or talk to your roommates, or whatever you do after work, and that's just not, 
the same skill set. So um, I realized that time in the car was me transitioning from those two worlds. And so by the time I got home, if I, you know, traffic wasn't frustrating, I was normally pretty relaxed when I got home. Um, but it's hard to just turn it off like a switch when you work from home. So I typically shut down about 20 minutes before I, you know, go go out there for to help with dinner and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll normally do something that kind of gets me into that social mode, like, you know, read an article or watch a little bit of TV or something on my phone, mm-hmm. you know, Netflix on my phone, watch something stupid like the office or something like that to get, to get back into that. I'm no longer operating at the same frequency, you know, right. you're kind of moving fast on the computer and then, you know, you walk out there and your kid tells you a 20 minute story about a giraffe. So like kind of getting to that pace, getting back to that normal patience of, 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 of being a good dad and a good husband. Um, sure, yeah. That's really interesting. That's, um, I think that's something that I can probably use to, to make more of an effort to do. Or just take a 20 minute nap, but that never works. I never <laughs> have, never, never have that 20 minutes that I want. But. Yeah, I, I have, I find that, that, uh, the 20 minutes often turns into, into more than 20 minutes when I actually try to take yeah. a nap. Yeah, yeah. So hard to get back up. So what else? What other uh, tips have you run across? So um, the uh, actually speaking of napping, so there's some kind of the benefits. So I kind of, as I said, I kind of accidentally started doing remote work, and then we had a personal situation in which I sort of had to do remote work all of a sudden uh, about a year and a half ago. I had some medical stuff in the family, and so it was really good for me to stay at home. Like I pretty much needed to stay at home. Like you know, even if the best job in the world. Um, it happened or my current job had said we need you to come into the office every day I would I would have had to leave that job I had to stay at home and so I kind of changed my attitude a little bit about it and I said well what are you know what are some things that are that are benefits this is kind of a side benefit is I'm able to help with this medical thing and um and give shots throughout the day and all this stuff that I needed to do mm-hmm. um to help and so I think there's a lot of benefits that it's like, even though I've been doing it for years, I'm not really taking advantage of the flexibility that working from home does. So one of the tips, I guess, would be to actually enjoy it. I, I know a lot of people that work from home that they just don't really, you know, they just work in their house and they never really take advantage of some of the flexibility. So, you know, I, I have four kids. I can go to stuff at their school a lot more easily. I eat lunch with my daughter once a week at the mm-hmm. elementary school. It's, I can walk to it from my house. Um, and that's just kind of a nice thing to do. You know, she's in the first grade, and so I know a bunch of the kids in her class and know which ones to tell her not to be pretend boyfriends with and stuff like that. And, you know, that's just kind of an important thing. And then the amount of money you can save if you, you know, don't drive. The mental freedom that it occasionally gives you, uh, being alone. Sometimes you can be a little bit more creative and a little bit more, um, not as risk averse because mm-hmm. you're not in the herd mentality a little bit. Um, you can move around where you work and work from a coffee shop or rearrange your office. You don't have to move around the cubicle. Um, but, in, but those are just kind of benefits. The, the, um, in terms of tips, I mean, I, I would say to make it work, uh, you need to do the sacred space thing. You need to know yourself and pay attention very much to your physical, emotional health, your motivation, because your motivation matters a lot more than, you know, when you're kind of working alone. You don't have that automatic momentum or motivation of, I'm in my cubicle now, surrounded by people. I should probably work. There's nothing else to do. Like, you you can be very distracted. Um, right. So the sacred space and then kind of knowing where you are in that. If you're sleepy, you need something to eat, you need some more coffee, you need to 
get up and take a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, adding structure to your day is very important. Um, I've heard other people on this podcast say this, but looking at the, the blank eight hours is a little bit intimidating sometimes if you work for a company that doesn't have a lot of meetings, which is good. Um, Trek doesn't have very many meetings. Um, there are days when, you know, you do the stand up and then after that you're working. Um, it's very useful to break that day up into, um, different segments or say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go work out. And then, I'm, you know, these are my yeah. goals, for the, mini goals for the day. I've heard a lot of people on this, uh, say the Pomodoro technique is a, is very effective. I, I don't use that as much anymore, but I used it to kind of transition into, I mean, when I was first starting out and really having trouble with kind of maintaining my attention span really because I was used to the, you know, I have a meeting in 30 minutes at any time during the day and my, in mm-hmm. my, my pre remote work days to get to the point where I could focus and kind of break myself up. I did Pomodoro a lot and I still go back to it sometimes. That's mm-hmm. a very effective technique. In general, there are a lot of non socially acceptable techniques <laughs> that you can do at home that just in an office would be weird. Right. Uh, I'm going to list some of them now and I'm not going to say which one of these I do because they're not socially acceptable. Um, you know, you hear people, they work without their shoes on. People mm-hmm. always joke, you work without your pants on. I don't think anybody actually does that. You, you have a standing desk. You have to have a really comfortable chair if you're going to do that. You have to have a really comfortable chair. And also you have to be a little weird. I mean, let's be honest, you know, you probably <laughs> live with people. Um, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Working without your shirt on would make more sense, but, you know, standing desk, you hear people talk about that. There are a lot of companies that support some of these things, but they're always kind of a pain. Or, you know, if you want to change your desk every week or constantly be tinkering with it, um, I've got a little very low engineering standing desk where I just have a cardboard box. It's literally the exact right size. <laughs> just in, I just occasionally put that and then put the laptop on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, you know, you'd be the weird guy in the office doing stuff like that if you want to um, – you know, take a shower after you work out at lunchtime. So mm-hmm. you wake up immediately, start working. That's not socially acceptable. Uh, singing out loud, you know, all that, all that yeah. stuff. Um, d- enjoy some of that stuff. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people that work from their house and they work exactly like they would in an office. And maybe that's how they work. But I think more people over time, you realize there are little things that work for you. Listening to music, not listening to music, talking to yourself, not talking to yourself. You kind of you have a little bit more capacity to do that kind of stuff. Um, Definitely, I've worked with a lot of people that exercise on very weird schedules because mm-hmm. they can because they work from home. You know, you go to the gym at two p.m., you go to the bank at ten a.m., so there's never any lines. Like you got to take advantage of that stuff um, uh, because you know you can. And mm-hmm. you know, if you were sitting in a cubicle and expected to be there or had to be in your office, then it would be harder to do those things. Yeah, I go I go running when it just feels like the time is right. Right, right, exactly. I mean, and that and that's I, I actually had an experience at, a, at an old company where somebody, I think they had, if I had to guess, looking back on it with my perspective now, they were probably used to working by themselves, and they got a job, and on their second day at like two p.m. they there was a running trail near the company, and they said, "I'm going to go for a run. I just finished a task." And they told their boss that, and then they went for a run. And then they came back in without taking a shower, sat down and finished the day like, oh, wow. like three to five. And, you know, two weeks later, that guy's not working at the company anymore. Uh-huh. Like that's, those are just socially like non-acceptable things that when you work from home, you know, yeah. the, the altar of, of merit just kind of, uh, squashes all those things. If you're getting your work done and you're staying in touch with people, then, um, you know, if you want to take your lunch to go run and then come back and not take a shower or 
you know, do sit-ups at your desk um, every 30 seconds, you know, whatever, right. whatever whatever your thing is. And uh, as long as you're communicating and available, which I guess is my would be another tip, is um, when you work remotely, especially if you're on a team where everybody or it's not everybody is distributed, if there's a group of people that are in an office and then you're sort of on an island, mm-hmm. the, there's an implicit ex- expectation that you're a good writer, that you can write an email, you can explain stuff over the phone, mm-hmm. and that you're going to do those things proactively, that you maintain your IM status as being accurate, Skype status, all those things. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to make sure that all of those things are happening because a lot of people look at those things to see, you know. Well, it's the only cues that they have. It's, it's the only thing they have, short of installing the, the Hanselman monitor that you can always peer into my sacred space or whatever. Right. No, com- no company really wants to do that, you know. Right. Um, but, uh, but, you know, more and more I'm seeing tools that do, do stuff like that, that try right. to encourage the use of video. You know, it's kind of a cultural thing. Some companies are like, they're written, some companies are audio, and then there are some companies that are, um, they want to be able to talk to each other face to face, and so they use Hangouts and things like that. Um, and that and that's good, but uh, but yeah, those are the only social cues people have to to when you're working and when you can be interrupted or not. And so that communication is key. Being proactive about the communication is incredibly important when you're when you're kind of on the island of making sure your process sort of drives this a lot. But um, you know, if you're in any any sort of long delay software development cycle where you could theoretically be working on the wrong thing for a long time and you need to, you know, if you're in any sort of waterfall situation, then you need to be very proactive with communication. You're talking um, about speaking up before you're asked. Yes. And, and any challenges you have, you know, don't, don't wait until you have two or three questions. You ask them immediately. You, you call people. You don't have any hesitation to, to ask people questions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely something that I haven't always done the best at, but it's something that every time I don't do it, I regret it and say, oh, I should have spoken up earlier. I should, you know, even if I was just had a feeling, I need to say, I, I think this is, this is going to be a challenge or I, I think there's going to be some questions or, could you mm-hmm. explain it to me again? Um, things like that. So you, you sort of have to be a little bit better at communication than you have to be in a normal office where sort of other people in the room might ask the questions you're going to ask. So, yeah. And then I, I think there's a lot of it that's personal about how you get stuff done. Every person sort of has to figure it out for themselves about how they manage, you know, where they're working and and how they communicate with their team. Um, right. You know, some teams are very async. That's sort of the... Um, the trend with distributed teams of, you know, if you have a company, I, I typically work with companies. I think I've only worked with companies in the U.S. and they, you know, so the the maximum time difference is three hours. But, um, you know, the trend is for a lot of companies to not care that much about time zones. So a lot of the work is very much there is not an expectation of an immediate answer. There's an expectation of an answer in the next two to three hours. Um, mm-hmm. So. It just depends on what type of situation you are. In that case, the IM status doesn't matter as much and things like that. But um, for the most part, you, you basically just need to be available mm-hmm. as often as you can and be explicit with that. Mm-hmm. I just want to jump back real quick and, uh, and and admit my own embarrassing little you know non-socially acceptable working habits. <laughs> um, for the record, just you know, so that if, if it helps anyone be a little less embarrassed, then it's worth it. You know, I I will list dancing. Because I like yeah. to listen to electronic music when I'm coding sometimes, and, and yes, I will get up and rock out. Um, and I think it actually helps. You know, something to do while the uh, the tests are running, and 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 hey, you know, get the blood moving. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I also do that, although I think if you were to watch a video of me, you would probably not call it dancing. You'd probably <laughs> call, it, call 911. <laughs> Something seriously wrong with him. And okay. uh, I, I um, at one point, I was trying to pursue uh, what they call a polyphasic sleep schedule, where you you, uh, you sleep in lots of little naps, and uh, instead of sleeping one long period of time at night, and uh, yeah, so that was like twenty minute naps every four hours. So um, yeah, I've uh, I I did it. I don't. It wasn't the. I know the thing you're talking about. How, how did that work out? Oh, uh, badly. Badly. <laughs> it didn't yeah, work I, for me. <laughs> I, I had a period where I, I was working um, for a startup in the la- in the last four years, and uh, I think I. I was there for like eight months and that entire time, you know, the team was three people. We never saw each other in person and, you know, we'd call it, call around noon and we'd talk about stuff and every day. And so there was a lot of work to do. It was a three person company. And so I experimented a lot with different sleep schedules and I ended up doing this thing where I would do, it's crazy to say this, but I would work for six hours and then I would go to sleep. Like I'd work from like seven in the morning to whatever six hours is and then sleep. And then wake up and then like take my kids, you know, get them out of school mm-hmm. and like put them to bed and then work another six hours. <laughs> and then like, and so it was this weird, like half assed, you know, four hours of sleep here, four hours of sleep right. here, depending on the day. And, uh, it worked for like a month and then it was just a disaster. <laughs> it's just kind of negative feedback loop of being sleepy and having too much stress. Yeah. But you know, you, you could never try that at a normal office. You could be like, Hey, everybody, I'm going to leave it too. Right. I promise I'm going to come back after dinner and work some more. You know, th- yeah. those type of things. But like that was that was what was needed at the time. Sure. Um, I mean, I think everyone was with kids has experienced. You know, with kids and and that work from home has experienced that period of time where you work for a while and then you you go and have dinner and you hang out with the family for a little bit and then you go back to work. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's just necessary if you know if work is really demanding at the time and family is really demanding at the time. It's, it's what you can do. I don't know if, yeah. you, if you've uh, seen any of this, but I've been noticing there's been, been some research coming out lately um, having to do with sleep that that uh, says that basically it may actually have been more normal for humans for a long period of time uh, that they would they would go to bed and then they'd sleep for a few hours. I'm not sure exactly how long, but basically they'd wake up again uh, in kind of the wee hours of the morning. Um, yes. And they'd, uh, they'd work for, you know, well, they do something for a while, maybe study for a while on, by candlelight, maybe chat with their significant other um but uh yeah for a few hours and then go back to bed yeah i've i've uh, i have somebody sent that to me i guess they they knew that i had a bad sleep schedule at the time um two of our kids are um twins and they're um seven months old now so we're sort of getting out of that phase where we were getting really bad sleep when they were really young mm-hmm. and so i would sometimes wake up and have a lot of trouble like it felt unnatural to go back to sleep if there's a certain window where like if i get woken up at 2 30 a.m i'll be awake until 3 30 mm-hmm. it's like some natural rhythm where like i'm very clear of mind at that time and there's just nothing to, i mean what do you do at that time you're like um there's nothing on tv it's not like you can go for a walk safely at 2 30 and you're like hmm, i guess i'll just you know sit here until i go to sleep so well that they that are that that 
historical fact is interesting in that context to think about, especially since they didn't have electricity back then. Like, what did they, do? you know, what, <laughs> do you, what do you do? Why, why does it work like that? Get up and look for predators, and then say, okay, I guess we're safe. Go back to sleep. But right. I, th- I, I, I think scientists probably understand like fifty percent of how sleep works. Is my impression. Every article I read about it is like, you should, you should take naps. No, you shouldn't. You'll die. <laughs> I mean, they're completely all, they're just all over the place. Um, I right. think it's really like, you know, how, how it works for you. But the good yeah. thing is re- remote work allows you to experiment with whatever you want to experiment with. Exactly. I mean, I've definitely had a lot of, I've had periods where I would just zonk out from total exhaustion at like 9, 9 p.m. Then I'd wake up at 2 a.m. and I'd be like, okay, energy now. Right. And so I'd go code. Yep. I'd go till, you know, 4 or 6 a.m. and then sleep some more. Whatever works, you know. Yeah. Now, you've also written a little bit about managing the relationship with your significant other uh, while you're, as you're transitioning to working from home. Um, what sort of what sort of insights have you had about that? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I've failed at this stuff a lot uh, for figuring it out. So, you know, I sort of just started working from home. Um, at that time, we had two children. And I think they were both under the age of three. They were really loud. They were pretty loud now, but <laughs> they were really loud. They were in the house. One of them was in that phase. You know, there's different stages of like how you explain to your kids why you're in the house, but you're not playing with them. You know, we, we've got two kids now that they understand. Like, I can explain to them that what work is because they're in school. They sort of understand there's some responsibility and there's some gains from work and things like that. Right. Like, and one of them can understand what money is and things like that. But then there's a certain age of, you know, from one to three where, like, you're just kind of a bad parent. You know, you're in the house, and then every time you go outside to go to the bathroom, you're, you're they're like, come play, and you can't really explain why, and then you just have to leave again. So anyway, the there's sort of expectations around kids and how you explain that to them and sort of how you structure your home office and your schedule. Maybe you warn somebody, you know, I'm coming out um, to use the bathroom, hide the kids. But but uh, there, there's also that expectation. My, my personal situation is that um, when the kids are really young, my wife stays home with them. So she's in a phase now where she's staying home and she's not mm-hmm. working outside the house. So we're just all sort of in the house together. Two of the kids are at school and then the other two are not. So now we've sort of got it well oiled. But we had problems with expectations there's a couple of things that happen. So in the, in the post, I, I sort of put when you announce to your spouse that you're working from home, that's sort of good news to them mm-hmm. because they immediately think of benefits that benefit them. You know, oh, he can help out with the dishes during the day. He can pick up packages. We could probably eat lunch together all the time. He's going to be around. That's that's good. Well, you know. That's not really always true. I've still got the same amount of work to do. And when you're starting out working from home, it, you know, you kind of need to establish yourself as being able to get stuff done. You're going to be around each other all the time, which is not always the healthiest thing for a relationship. You're just there all the time. Mm-hmm. All of those, all of those non-socially acceptable things that we were just talking about might get on their nerves. You know, not take, not taking a shower until you work out at lunchtime. Right. And that means half of the time they see you, you're, you haven't had a shower, you've just worked out. You know, so sitting down with your spouse and your kids, like if you're going to say, okay, daddy's going to be in the house now, or mommy's going to be in the house now, this is what it means, is important to say, hey, please don't interrupt me if this situation has happened. So um, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but my wife texts me 
if she needs something from me, she doesn't knock on the door. So the assumption is that I'm always on the phone, just, you know, I'm always on the phone, just treat it like I'm always on the phone, although right. I hardly ever am. And, um, and then it's kind of a tough conversation if you don't start out on the right foot, which I didn't to say, I'm not here. You know, mm-hmm. I, you remember when you used to call me at work and I would come off as stressed and not, you know, not as nice on the phone. Well, now, during these hours, I'm that guy. You now live with that guy. <laughs> you know, I'm here all the time. So if you call me in the middle of the day and I, I seem like I'm short with you or something, it's probably because I'm still, you know, I'm doing something on the computer while I'm talking with you. And so you need to reserve those phone conversations or, you know, if you need to talk to me about something, you need to, you need to batch those up until the end of the day, if at all possible, because you need to, even though I've been doing this for years, remember that I used to be in an office and, you know, it was rare that we would need to talk during the day. We would just talk towards the end of the day about, you know, what it, whatever had happened during our day. If you needed to say, oh, I need to talk to my husband about that. I need to talk to my wife about that. We just wait until the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The expectation of the spouse is if you're here, you're available to help. And at that time we had small kids. And so there's a lot of situations where it'd be nice to have an extra pair of hands for five minutes with something. And that's just not possible. Um, the tough thing with that expectation wise is that you also, or, you know, you're not always a hundred percent of the time you treat the space as sacred, but you also, you know, walk outside, you get snacks, you're walking, you go to the gym, you know, so they're in the house with you. They're stressed out. They're dealing with the kids. You've told them, do not interrupt me. I'm doing incredibly important work. But then at the same time, they hear you and they're dancing and listening to music. So there's kind of a mismatch where like you're very relaxed, but you're treating it like, you know, you're in there doing brain surgery. Right. Um, so it, it's kind of an expectation thing. For, for me, one of the things was my wife does very different type of work than I do. She's a hospice social worker. So, um, her typical situation is she's counseling someone at the end of their life. My typical situation is I'm typing on a computer like a stupid monkey. So, like, there's just a mismatch of – her work is always just in the grand scheme of things going to be more important than the type of work that I do, period. Mm-hmm. And then explaining to somebody what programming is, if that's not what they do for a living, explaining how it is focus-based and interruptions are bad, but then also explaining – but sometimes it takes a little while to get into the zone, so sometimes you – you know, might listen to music or, you know, something that kind of comes across as you're just kind of wasting time or, you know, it's nine o'clock, you're out here chatting with me, don't you need, you know, you treat your work so seriously, why are you out? Well, I'm not quite, I'm like trying to get myself ramped up, like kind of just sitting down and explaining all of those things. I think the takeaways, once you sort of establish the right boundaries, are very positive. I mean, I, I get to eat lunch with, with my wife and the two young kids. I get to see the, the two young kids a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. than I would ever get to see, you know, they're six, they're six months old. I mean, they go to bed at like 7.30 or some ridiculous, yeah, 7.30. So in a typical office job, I would probably get home, my old job, I would get home at like 6.30. <laughs> so I would see them, um, and they would probably be take, they'd still be asleep when I left for work. So I'd probably get about 30 minutes of dedicated time with them. Whereas now I can go out, I can eat lunch with them. She can go run an errand while I eat lunch or I feed them, um, and so there's a lot of benefits for, you know, your roommates, your significant other, people that you live with. Just because you're around, um, we had a break-in next door uh, at a house, and I saw it, and things like, you know, just random things. Because just because I'm around is kind of a nice thing, hmm. but you you can't really, other people can't expect that from you. Your primary job is your primary job. It's a side benefit that you're at home, and maybe you can sign for a package, or maybe you can, 
you know, and if somebody gets into a bind, go pick up a kid from school um, because you're closer to the school than they are and things like that. But it's really a, you really have to just kill the automatic expectations that you're working from home, which means you're at home, which means you're sort of in dad mode, which means you can help out more. Um, that was, that was a tough takeaway. Now we're, we're very used to it. And so we're all just sort of in the house together. Um, but kind of operating at two different orbits. Right. Yeah. I love one of the things you say in this, this article, um, on life hacker, you wouldn't like me when I'm working from home, but we'll like what it makes me. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really, um, really pertinent. It's, it's really true. It's, it's, yeah, your day-to-day working person, you know, might not be any different than who you are when you're sitting at a desk in a cubicle, but but it does, you know, change who you are sort of on a, a grander scale. Right, right. I mean, a, a more relaxed version of me, a version of me where I'm a little bit more empowered with my work and how I work. I mean, those are all very positive things. You know, I, I would want the same for her right. um, she, if her job, you know, for her job and any job. Right. Well, we've been talking for a while, and honestly, I feel like we could probably go on for quite a while longer. Um, but I don't want to let this go on too long, just to not to um, you know, go over my my usual uh, time for the podcast. So, uh, before I, I let you go, there's um, you're you're work, writing a, or working on a book, right? I am working on a book. It is slow going, but I am still working on it. I have a large draft of a book. Uh, so the, I've been writing blog posts and, um, life hackers published some of them and some of them have gotten a lot of traffic. Uh, I think there's just sort of a dark matter. There's just a large set of people that are remote workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll, you, you see that people are starting to come out with books about the experience and sort of best practices. So this is sort of my foray into that, um, kind of gathering up all of my experiences and what has worked for me, but then also the network of people that I've built that live near me but work from their house, the type of people that you meet in coffee shops if you make an effort because they're mm-hmm. sort of keep coming out of their basement <laughs> and to work in coffee shops. Uh, a lot of conversations about that. This is just something I think about a lot. Um, so I'm just writing a very simple book about if you want to make remote work or working from home actually function in your life, what that's going to mean, what you need to do, I read a statistic somewhere that said a lot of people, you know, it's an option that employers are starting to offer people. You can work from home on Fridays, sort of a benefit. Uh, And they've, there are some companies, um, ADP in, uh, here in Alpharetta, which is outside of Atlanta near me, um, they've sort of done this, I think they call it onshoring, but they basically send people home and they close their offices, um, Mm -hmm. because they've realized the real estate prices and, Health insurance costs and stuff go down if they just make people work from home. So they, they went through a couple of years ago where they just sort of forced people to work from home. Hmm. And, um, so uh, there's a lot of statistics out there that say it just doesn't work. Like m- more than half of people, if given the chance, it just does not work. They change jobs. They don't make it work. They lose their job. They're not as effective. They get asked to come back into the office. Oh, wow. So I think in my, in my personal life, the benefits outweigh the bad stuff. And so the book is about how to get over the bad stuff and what has worked for me and then what has worked for, for people that I've talked to. Um, mm-hmm. because we're at the point now where they're, you know, I come across people all the time. They go, Oh yeah, I've been working from home for nine years, you know, things like that. And the, in the development field, uh, you'll meet people that have been doing it that long and have been successful and they, they kind of say all the same stuff. So the book is just kind of a compilation of that. Very cool. If people want to find out more about the book, what's the 
blog.davidtate.org. Um, that's my blog, and it has information about the book if you'd like to sign up to hear about when it is complete sometime in the next half century. <laughs> awesome. Uh, where else can people find you online? I'm on Twitter at Mixteenth, which is 16th with an M. And those, that, those are probably the two best places to find me. Cool. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. I think this has been really enlightening. And, um, yeah, keep on rocking the remote work. Yeah, you too. And thanks for the podcast. It's a great resource. And that is our show for today. Hope you've enjoyed it. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Go to wideteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store. The Wide Teams podcast is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm signing off. Wild, 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 wild,